0: You're listening to the sermon cast of First Presbyterian Church Spartanburg. To watch the full video of this worship service and to learn more about the ministries of our church, visit us online at org. We hope you enjoy the message. Today we are continuing in our Lenten sermon series that we have called Why the Cross Matters. I shared with you last week and weeks before about a recent gathering of the Presbytery, the regional gathering of Presbyterian churches from here in the upstate that happened last month. It was about a day-long meeting, and it covered topics from the most mundane to the most serious, but the whole meeting took place in a chapel that had over the chancel this rose window with a beautiful stained-glass cross. And it caused me to wonder the whole day, what does it mean for us to live under the cross? Right? What does it mean or look like for our lives from the most mundane to the most serious parts to play out in the light of Christ's crucifixion? And so we have embarked on this journey to study why the cross matters and we have been looking at the cross through the lens of the seven last words that Jesus speaks on that Good Friday from long ago. In each of these words, we've identified a different word for ourselves that perhaps Jesus is trying to get at. So we began three Sundays ago with that word forgiveness. And then we moved to the word salvation. The cross offers us God's salvation, God's saving grace. Last week, we explored what the cross means for our relationships. How Christ's sacrifice invites each of us into deeper relationship with one another. And today, as John Daniel alluded to, we turn to a much harder word the word abandonment. And so I invite you to listen once more for a word from God as we hear these two verses, the fourth word Jesus speaks from the cross from Matthew's Gospel, the 27th chapter beginning with the 45th verse. Matthew writes, From noon on, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And about three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Let us pray. Good and gracious God, now more than ever, help us to lean on your goodness, on the promise of your grace, on the truth of your steadfast love. Indeed, O oh God, through your goodness and mercy, we pray that your spirit might alight upon us now, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered together here in your sight would be pleasing and glorifying to you. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. No aspect I suppose it goes without saying, no aspect of the crucifixion is what we might term easy. No matter what angle you look at any of these seven last words of a man dying on a cross, they are all hard. Hard to understand, hard to fathom, hard to digest. But I suspect at the end of this series, looking back on these seven last words, you will agree with me then that this fourth word, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This fourth word will and is beyond a shadow of a doubt the hardest of them all. I was reading last week that Bach, one of his great religious oratorios was called St. Matthew's Passion. I looked it up on YouTube. It's like two and a half hours long. It's a double choir and double orchestra. I don't know exactly what that means, but it is a beautiful masterpiece. And when musicologists study this piece, they note how at different points across the arrangement, Bach put Placed each of the seven last words that Jesus speaks at different points in the arrangement. And around each of those words, Bach created what the musicologists call a halo of strings. Right? One musicologist says it's a halo of almost divine instrumentation that just floats there around Christ's utterances like a glory. Right around each of these seven last words, Bach wanted to emphasize through the music God's presence in the midst of what is otherwise abject horror. He placed those halo of strings around each of the seven last words except for one. So complete, so absolute the abandonment in this fourth word So complete, so absolute, the despair, the doubt, the forsakenness, that at this word in that arrangement, Bach withdrew the halo of strings. As if to say, how could God possibly be present as Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I should really warn you that this fourth word is not an easy one. There's really no way to soften the sharp edges. There's no way to dull or to minimize what pain or questions this segment of Jesus' crucifixion might open up in our own souls. And yet I still wonder as I hear these fourth words if perhaps in the way Jesus descends into that deepest darkness any person could possibly imagine, he is also at the same time somehow revealing to us our deepest hope. Think about it. Every human life From the very beginning of time all the way to this precise moment, every single one of us has experienced pain and sorrow and suffering. Sometimes it's our own pain and sorrow and suffering, and sometimes it's the pain, sorrow, and suffering for those who we love, for those who we know, right? Each person that has ever lived and ever will live, each person right here, right now has asked the question, why? why now? Why them? Why this? Why him? Why her? Why me? Isn't it remarkable that here at this moment in the passion narrative, we learn that Jesus himself knows all of our grief, That Jesus himself has experienced the depth of pain that we as humans can experience both spiritual and mental and physical pain. Isn't it amazing to think that Jesus himself has asked that same question, why? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I've been thinking this week about how um, as a kid, I didn't really learn or talk too much about the cross. People around me may have been talking about it and I wasn't paying attention, but I just don't ever remember really thinking to myself, what's so good about what happens on Good Friday? How is that possibly good? It wasn't until my early young adulthood when I can't quite remember if it was a book or a conversation, but someone opened to me the true power of the cross. They said, you know, Alan, it's not necessarily in the theories of atonement, and there's so many out there that we really get down to the essence of why the cross matters. It's not in the pain of the crown of thorns or in the nails through his hands. That's not really where we find the ultimate power of the cross. The ultimate power of the cross is in the way it reveals to us That in his full humanity, God in Jesus Christ endured everything that we as humans can endure. That there is nothing that we can encounter in this life that God has not also experienced. There is no pain or sorrow or suffering that we can know that God did not also know on that Good Friday long ago. Not even death itself separates us from God. My grandmother was Methodist and she always got on me when I was in seminary. She said, Alan, can you now explain to me why you Presbyterians insist on saying that Jesus descended to hell and stayed there for three days until he rose again? And the best answer I could ever come up with was, Bobby, well, it's really meant to drive home the point that Jesus died. Part of God died. There's a professor at Columbia Seminary before my time there. I forget her name, but it always came up in theology class. One of the professors would say, You know, Professor so and so, when she taught theology two and we got to the part of Good Friday, she'd always pound her fist on the podium and say, God was dead, dead, dead. And she did that to drive home the point that God knows even. The grief that we know when we lose someone we love. There's some solace in that for us. That there truly is nothing we can feel or live through that God has not also felt and lived through. But there's solace too here. And the fact that God and Jesus Christ, in fact, was not alone. John Daniel did such a good job with the children. It got me thinking about how Jesus was a rabbi. Jesus knew his Jewish Bible. He knew his Torah and he would have certainly known the Psalter. So I went back and forth when I was putting together today's liturgy about whether or not to make that first reading that Jay read for us either Psalm 22 or Psalm 23. Because some of you Bible scholars out there might recognize that, that uh, phrase Jesus utters from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's actually shown up before in the Bible. In the 22nd Psalm, that's how that Psalm begins. I ultimately went with the 23rd Psalm because I felt like that is the Psalm many of us likely turn to in those moments of deepest despair. But what's interesting, whether you read the 22nd or the 23rd Psalm, what you discover is that the psalmist never leaves you at the point of despair. The psalmist never stops in the darkness. It's true of the whole Psalter. If you read it from start to finish, you find that, in fact, the despair always yields to trust. The darkness always gives way to light. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Is there any place darker than in the valley of the shadow of death? But is that where the psalmist stops? No. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. For thou art with me. God's presence. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup overflows. There's something powerful here. There's something powerful in the way that Jesus is crying out implies in and of itself that there is someone to cry out to. Right in Judaism, both then and now, it is viewed as an act of faith to cry out to God, whether in joy or in sorrow, to cry out to God is in of itself a sign of your faith that God is listening. Right in this moment, at the exact midpoint of the passion, even in the seeming absence of God, even with that halo of strings withdrawn, Jesus, in fact, is reminding us of the very presence of God. But it's easy, isn't it, to talk about these kinds of things from a distance? It's hard for us to actually take what we talk about intellectually in a time like this and apply it when that pain and that suffering and that torment isn't something that was long ago or something far into the future, but rather our lived reality right now. It's not quite as easy then. You know, this afternoon, right in this sanctuary, we're gonna gather for a very hard funeral. Every funeral, of course, is hard in its own way. But this afternoon, we will gather for the funeral of a 17-year-old young man, a beautiful, courageous, faith-filled, faith-full, strong, resilient young man named Matthew McCleskey. We'll come together to give thanks to God for his life. But there's no doubt that we will also come with lots of questions, with lots of pain. Pain and questions that can't be resolved in just a single day or a single hour. As we've been preparing for this service, I've been thinking this past week about another service from a few years ago that I had the privilege to officiate at. It was for a grandfather named Tom. Tom was a brilliant man. PhD, MD. When he first introduced himself to me, I kind of lost track after the fourth or fifth degree that he listed off. Incredible life, incredible career, serving others through healthcare and research I got a call on a Saturday morning from Tom's wife letting me know that after a long battle with cancer and with various other ailments that had followed him through many years of his life, even decades, Tom had died that night. It was hard. But harder still was the call that came just about 12 hours later. Tom's granddaughter, six-year-old girl, She had been fighting her own battle with cancer, had been under hospice care for a number of weeks, and just 12 hours after her grandfather died, she died. She lived in another city, and we made arrangements for the service for Tom to be held first in our sanctuary, and then a few days later, they would do a service for his granddaughter. But you can only imagine the devastation, the forsakenness, Questions. We gathered in that sanctuary, Kathy and their three girls, a very tight knit family, including the mother and her husband of the young granddaughter. Nothing came easy that day. The words were hard, the prayers were hard, the hymns were hard. I remember looking out on the sanctuary full of people. And I remember noticing and just noting in the back of my own mind the faces of the people who were there. Right? There were friends and neighbors who I had seen throughout the week before who had come by to drop meals off, written cards, some who just sat quietly in the kitchen for hours on end just in case someone needed a cup of water or a glass of tea. They were out there in the sanctuary that day. And so too were other women who had lost their husbands. Who had and were still walking that long path. Some of whom I had not seen in church for quite some time, but who were there that day. I thought to myself, how amazing is this? this family, this family that is living through truly unimaginable, unimaginable pain and sorrow and suffering, this family who had experienced the absolute worst that there was to experience, how incredible was it that they were surrounded in this moment, by other people whose stories, though different, were similar. Other people who had traveled to some of those darkest valleys we can travel in this life. Other people who had experienced some of the same feelings and emotions and doubt that this family surely was feeling in that moment. And yet there they were surrounding that family in their grief as if to say, we have been there and we are still there. Yet somehow, here we are with you too. Somehow, we are still making it because we have discovered that somehow, we have not yet been destroyed. That there's something, someone, grace, God, just with their very presence, revealing to that family that there was something or someone beyond their wildest imagination that was still, if only by a thread, holding them together. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's nothing easy about these words, are there? And yet I wonder if perhaps they reveal in some way to us the mystery of the cross itself. The cross that like a sanctuary full of people who know suffering and who gather nonetheless in order to hold on to one another and proclaim in their word and their song and their prayer that love and goodness still reign. I wonder if in some way these hard words Jesus speaks from the cross reveal to us that its true mystery is that our deepest hope is deeper still than the deepest darkness which any of us can know in this life. The mystery that it reveals perhaps is that like the psalmist knew we can know also that even in the deepest darkness, the light still shines and the darkness cannot overcome it. Friends, for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the world, may it be so. Amen.